0: Welcome to Downtown Arbor Church, if it is your first time here. My name is John. I am the the lead pastor around here. Appreciate you guys coming on out. I know some of you came on your vacation. That's impressive. You get brownie points for doing that. Um, But we are, you know, let me kind of catch up to speed as to the conversation we've been having since it might be your first time here. Um, This is week three of this series that we're calling Imagine. And essentially what we've been doing is talking about your faith more specifically talking about your faith journey where you've been where it is and where you'd like to see it go and for that matter where God would like to see it go and i and i've made this statement i stand by it i think that every single one of us wants to have that rock solid faith that you could know with 100% certainty with 100% confidence that god exists that he knows your name that he knows what's happening in your life right now, that he has a plan for your life. And and we've just been talking about every single week, we've been spotlighting the various methods that God uses to grow our faith, to get our faith to the next level. First week, we talked about how God uses practical biblical teaching to get our faith to grow, challenging us that it's not enough to just listen to the words of Jesus. It's not even enough just to believe the words of Jesus, that if you want to see your faith grow, you need to Act on the words of Jesus. You need to apply them to your life in a practical way. Last week, we talked about how God uses our friends, our family, other people in our lives to grow our faith, to challenge us, to come alongside of us and help us to grow our faith. But today, I want to talk to you about a topic that, it's a, it's a tough topic, if I'm being honest with you. This is a, this is a topic that is difficult for I think, a lot of people to come to grips with. I think if God has used this method of faith growth in your life, this kind of a topic could be difficult almost to sort of relive in a way, depending on how it turned out in your life. This kind of topic sometimes could actually raise more questions than it does give you answers, because what we need to talk about today is how God uses pivotal circumstances in our lives to grow our faith. When I talk to people about their faith journeys, when I hear their faith stories, what I hear many, many times is how God used a particular incident, a particular situation, a particular circumstance in their lives to grow their faith. And it's the kind of thing that you never asked to go through. It's the kind of thing that you never would have signed up for. But you would say, honestly, John, because I went through that, my faith is, is stronger. And every single one of us, because we're humans and because we're living on this earth, we are all, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at, are going to go through one of these pivotal circumstances. And it looks different for all of us. It could be um, a loss of a job. It could be a loss of a loved one. It could be struggles with health. It could be struggles with infertility. It could be struggles with addiction. It could be struggles with physical trauma. Just these things that befall us, these things that we would never sign up for, But you would say, honestly, you would say, but for these events in my life, my relationship with God wouldn't be where it is today. C.S. Lewis, who was one of the great Christian writers, wrote this, talking about it. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And what you see when you begin to look at the pages of Scripture is that there really is a connection between the negative things that happen in our lives and our faith. And and, and that connection is not accidental. It's intentional. I was talking to um, a person in our church just last week who was currently going through a a pivotal circumstance in their life, and they were pouring out sort of what was going on, and she goes, but John, you know... I'm reminded of something that James, who is the brother of Jesus, said. I mean, James is talking about these pivotal circumstances in our life. and She reminded me that James says, consider it pure joy. Imagine that. He goes, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James is saying there is a connection. You understand, there is a connection between the trials that you go through and the things that happen to your faith. He says, so let perseverance finish its work. He's saying, I I understand that what you're going through right now is not fun. I understand that you wouldn't have signed up for it. I understand that this circumstance might be gut-wrenching, but you need to hold on. You need to push through. You need to make it to the end. You need to let perseverance finish its work. He's almost like God is doing something inside of you, I need you to hold on because he's doing something inside of you. He's doing something through you. You need to let him finish what he's doing so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James is like, it's not an accident, okay? It's not an accident that, that, that Christians have to go through trials. And it's not an accident that something happens to your faith in, in a magnificent way if you let it. These pivotal circumstances that we all go through are one of the primary methods that God uses to grow our faith, to explode our faith. There is a phenomenal illustration in the scriptures that comes right out of Jesus's life that that talks about this very concept of of pivotal circumstances. Now, as soon as I start the story, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're going to know the story. You're going to know the ending as soon as I read the first sentence. I would just challenge you to just slow yourself down. Try to experience the story alongside the characters. I think it's more beneficial that way. And I'm just going to give you a warning about this story. This is um, a disturbing story. I mean, it really is. Because what you're going to see here is you're going to be introduced to a new category of theology that you might not be aware that exist. You're going you're gonna to see Jesus saying things and acting in ways that you don't expect Jesus to be, to be doing. Because what you're going to see in this situation, in this true historical account, is that Jesus doesn't just use a negative situation to grow somebody's faith. He creates one. And that's something we're not used to. So the story is found in John 11, and it starts like this. Now, A man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, and he says, Lord, the one you love is sick. So let me kind of explain to you this sort of relationship that exists here. Mary and Martha, they pop up a couple of other times in the New Testament. These are not just followers of Jesus. These are not just disciples of Jesus. These are close family friends. They're like the kind of people in your lives who you call family, even though you're not really related. You know, that's my cousin, but they're not really your cousin. That's what you've got going on here. And because they understand that Jesus is who he claims to be, they send word to Jesus, who is now a two-day journey away. They send a letter to him, a message to him. Hey, the one you love, Lazarus, part of our family, he's sick. He needs your help. So Jesus gets the letter. When he heard this, Jesus said, and this is where he introduces us to the new category. He says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So Jesus introduces us for the very first time to this category, this category of theology where he's saying, sometimes in this life, not always, But sometimes in this world, sickness and disease and illness is and can be used for the glory of God. And, you know, I was reading this and I was thinking about You know, glorifying God in our own lives, and I was like, you know, I would rather give glory to God by winning an award, you know? Like, you win an Emmy, and you go up, and you take the award, and you go, hey, you know what? I want to thank my parents. I want to thank my manager, and I want to give God all the glory for this, and people are, you know, and and then you give them one of these, like, where you choke up, and you point to heaven, right? You know, that's the typical. I want to do that. That's the way that I want to give, and I think Jesus is like, well, that's great, and we appreciate when you do that, but there's another program that we use, and it's more effective for us getting glory, and it's where we allow bad things to happen to you, and God gets all the credit. And you're just like, well, I don't don't want that. And he goes, no, you don't get a chance. You know, there's no choice. This is what we send into your lives sometimes. Story continues. Now, and this is how I feel like John wrote this. He goes, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I feel like he's writing this because he's like, before I continue, I need to reiterate the fact that Jesus actually likes these people. Because what's going to happen next is going to make you think that he doesn't. So just so you know, just so you, like as we continue, Jesus loves these people. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. That's not how you expect Jesus to act. That's not what I when, when you pray to Jesus, when you think of Jesus sort of responding to a, a prayer request, you expect him to drop everything and to run immediately to the need. But he's like, "Hey guys, let's just, let's just I, I, I just got word, but let's just hang out here for two more days. He's seemingly not answering this prayer at all, which made me think of my own life, and I'll ask you this question: Has God ever been late to answer one of your prayers? You ever found yourself in a season of life or a time in life where you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying, and and it's like your prayers begin to sort of transform into pleading and begging, Dear God, dear Jesus, please, please, please. This is Mary and Martha. They've sent this request, they've sent this prayer to Jesus, they've asked their neighbors to pray for Lazarus. He's getting worse and worse and worse, and they're kind of going around the town now and saying, Well, you know what? Listen, we sent word to Jesus, he's going to come. Hey, when, when he shows up, you watch what he's going to do here. He's going he's to cure Lazarus. Everything's going to be fine. The hours are ticking away. Now it's like one day. Now it's like two days. All right, let's pray a little harder now. What's going on? They see people coming in from the city gates. They kind of go up. Hey, by the way, did you, see, um, did you ever see Jesus when you were walking out on that road? Because he's supposed, to, he's supposed to be here. Jesus, finally, after two days, says, all right, let us go back To Judea. Now, I don't know exactly what's happening here in this account. I don't know if Jesus got this letter and he kept it to himself because it seems like from what happens next, the disciples were unaware of of what was going on. Because all of a sudden it dawns on them that Bethany, this town that Lazarus lives, is in Judea. And they say to Jesus, well, Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going to go back? Essentially, the subtext is, well, we don't want to get stoned. So, like, like, Jesus, we think, you know what, honestly, Jesus, this is not a safe um, idea for you. We don't really think we should go there. Just, you know, it didn't turn out well last time we went, so we don't think we should go. Actually, Philip had a great idea. Philip reminded us about, remember just recently, you healed from afar the, the paralytic servant of that Roman centaur. Remember that, Jesus? Like, you just said the word, and, and he... he we think you should do that now. We honestly think, like, there's no reason for us to go. We think you should just say the word. He, it'll save time. Really, we, we don't. And then Jesus speaks up. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, well, Lord, if he sleeps, it's going to get better. They see a window of opportunity. They go, look, Jesus, this is, he's sleeping this is good news. means the fever's broken. He's fine. Not, you know how good a solid eight hours feels Jesus. He's going to be. Honestly, you know what? If you go there, if we show up, it's going to be more of a disturbance, right? It's going to be a whole thing. We, we, honestly, it's better off we don't go. Just let him sleep. He's going to be fine. Then Jesus shuts it down. And he says to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. What? He's dead. Well, what do you mean he's dead? Well, Lazarus is dead. Well, how do you know? Well, how do you mean how do I know? I'm Jesus. Well, we probably should have, should have gone, Jesus. And he goes, I've been trying to get you to go. Well, you didn't tell us he was going to die. And then Jesus says something is, that is astounding. He says, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Imagine hearing Jesus Christ, those words come out of Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. And it makes you want to say, like, well, what about Lazarus' sake? Or what about Mary's sake? Or what about for for Martha's sake? This is confusing for us to hear as followers of his. We picture him acting in one way, and now he's saying this, but something massive is happening right here when Jesus says this, and we really need to understand it if we want to wrap our minds around how God uses these pivotal circumstances in our lives. See, he's looking at these 12 disciples, these men who are going to, you know, take the torch when Jesus goes back to heaven, these men who are going to carry his ministry out into the world. He looks at them and he says, I am willing to let negative things happen, to let sorrow happen, to let death happen, to let confusion happen. I'm willing to let all of that happen so that you may believe. And I picture his disciples saying, so, hold on. Are you telling us that in your mind you've got healing and you've got belief and belief is more important? Yeah. Hold on. Jesus, are you saying that You've you've set this whole thing up just so that it will be a lesson on faith? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This rocks our world. We We don't expect God to operate like this, but it shows us how important our faith is to God the Father and Jesus Christ. And it shows us that God will do whatever it takes to grow your faith. And we don't like that. This offends our delicate sensibilities, but it shows us how badly God wants us to have big, bold, unshakable, rock-solid faith that he would do whatever it takes to get your faith there. So Jesus finally decides to head back to go see Lazarus, and on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. This is an important number of days. And this is something that we would miss as modern-day Christians. But at this time, there was a prevailing Jewish thought. This is not a biblical concept or anything. But a prevailing Jewish thought at that time that the soul would actually almost, I'll use the word, hover over the, the corpse for three days that there was a chance that the soul might actually reintegrate into the body. But after three days, that wasn't a possibility anymore. And so what John is letting us know is that Jesus, for this group, took them to the end of the line. Jesus took them to a place of no hope, that, that Lazarus was gone. That was the end of it. So Jesus comes into the town. Martha runs up, runs up to Jesus. Lord, She says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had just showed up when I asked, Lord, if you had just answered my prayers, Lazarus would be alive right now. How many times have you made a very similar prayer? God, if you had just, Jesus, if you had only, Martha's like, Jesus, if you you had just answered our prayers, we would have been fine. Lord, I've seen you heal. I've seen you heal people that don't deserve it. I saw you heal the the servant of that Roman centurion, too. spit on him. And yet when it comes to someone you love, family member, you you abandon us. I picture her crying. I picture her almost beating on his chest and just tears and hair in her face. And and it's almost like she, she catches her breath. She composes herself. And she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And she says, I don't understand everything about you, but what I do know is that even now, in spite of this all, God will give you whatever you ask. That's why, that's why we reached out to you to begin with. So Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You know what's happening here? She thinks that in her time of need that Jesus is just quoting scripture to her. It's kind of like when, when you've just gone through some major event and some Christian well-meaning starts to dole out Romans eight twenty eight to you. Hey, you know, all things happen for good for those. And you're like, I understand that. Thank you. That's just not really helping me right now. Okay? She thinks Jesus has given her the old Romans eight twenty eight. Jesus says something that he's never said before publicly when he hears her respond like this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. When a Jewish person used this word, I am, and they don't use it at all really because I am was reserved for God. God said that he, I am the great I am. When Jesus pulled this, he was pulling the God card. I am the resurrection. I am the life the one who believes in and what's interesting about this believes in is John for the first time combines these two words in a way that have never been combined before believes in in and it creates essentially their word trust, which which they didn't they didn't have that word the one who believes in trusts in has faith in me will live even though they die and Whoever lead, um, lives by believing in me will never die. And then I just picture, we don't see this, but I just picture Jesus sort of grabbing her hands and looking right into her eyes, which are filled with tears this moment, and saying, do you believe this? Do you, do you believe this? See, when you step back and you look at this entire story, this entire account from the disciples to Mary to Martha to the eyewitnesses, this whole situation was orchestrated, orchestrated for them, for us, as we are now reading it, so that we may believe. And if you believe so that you may believe more, so that your faith in God would skyrocket, So she responds, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into this world. She's saying in spite of everything that has happened in the last four days, in spite of the heartache, in spite of the discouragement, in spite of the anger, I still believe. I have not lost my faith. I will not walk away from you because of because things didn't work out the way that I thought they were supposed to work out. I will not walk away because you didn't answer my prayer the way that I had that I, that I prayed. No, I, I... Jesus hears all this and says, take me to the tomb. Bring me there. Bring me to the tomb. And so they they walk him to the tomb and While he's there, he's surrounded by Mary and Martha who are just sobbing. The the townspeople who have been involved in this whole prayer process, just sobbing. And John lets us know such an amazing detail. He says that Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the entire scripture, Jesus wept. What you see here is Jesus, who is God, Jesus, who can perform miracles, Jesus, who knows exactly what he's about to do. And if you know the story, you know exactly what he's about to do. And yet, in spite of all that, he pauses. He pauses to feel what Mary's feeling, what Martha's feeling, what you all have felt when you've stood at the grave of someone you love, what you feel when when you've prayed and and, and things didn't work out the way that you thought it should work out. And what I think he's showing us here in this moment is that Jesus understands us. He knows what we're going through. He can feel our emotions because he is one of us. And then he says something that they were not ready for. He says, open the tomb. Open it up. And I I pulled Martha's response from the King James Version, which is a version we don't ever use at this church, because I think the King James Version best captured her response to Jesus because she looks at him and she goes, Lord, by this time, he stinketh, okay? He stinketh. This is literally what it says, okay? I I, I imagine her saying, Lord, I don't want to rub salt in the wounds because I can see that you're broken up about this as much as I am. But, like, you need to understand that he's been dead for four days, Like, I didn't want to say anything, but, like, you didn't just miss the funeral. It was last week. So if we open up this tomb, if we roll away that stone, it's not going to be a good scene in there. Jesus persists. And he says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And and, and so with that, they opened the tomb. They rolled away the stone John tells us that that Jesus made a very public prayer to the Father. And then Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And Mary tells us and Martha tells us and the eyewitnesses tell us and the gospel writers tell us that, that Lazarus came out alive, living, which proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was and is the resurrection, that Jesus was and is life. And this amazing account wraps up. John lets us know that many of the people who had come to visit Mary saw the things that Jesus did and they put their faith in him. What you see in this account, this slightly disturbing account, is that Jesus didn't just simply leverage a negative situation. He created one. He created one to demonstrate the connection between the difficult circumstances that happen to us in this world and the impact that it can have on our faith, to show us that God so desperately and so dearly wants us to have strong faith that he is willing to leverage everything and anything to get us to that place. So, what is the practical? If it's your first time here at Downtown Harbour Church, every single week, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So, let me just say a couple things about Pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances, these things that happen in our life, these are the very events. Let's just be really honest with you. These are the very things that can shatter us, can absolutely destroy us. These pivotal circumstances that befall us in this world are the very things that can drive us away from God. God. I don't know about you, but I've seen it in my own life. I've seen something happen to a person in their childhood, in their teenage years, maybe even their adult life, that this thing, whenever it was that happened to them, rocked them so badly that they walked away from God. They packed it up, they left church, and they never came back. Do you want to know the difference, the, the key ingredient, the component that makes a difference between someone who walks away and someone who in the midst of the storm actually would lean on God, who who would gather strength from God, whose faith actually grows in the midst of a pivotal circus. You want to know what that, that key ingredient is? It's our relationships. Pulling in from last week, we need to, be surrounding ourselves with wise people. As Solomon said, as Paul said, we need to be surrounding ourselves, getting people in our lives, fellow believers, people who, when we are in the midst of a pivotal circumstance, can come alongside of us and give us a different perspective. Not who can sugarcoat it. We don't want that. Not who can put a spin on it. Not who can try to explain it away. We're not looking for that but somebody who can help you keep an eternal perspective in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a storm. We need to take seriously when Scripture says that we need to watch and be careful and be, and, and, and be strategic about our relationships because the people that we bring into our lives, the people in this very room, could be the very people that will be your safety net in the midst of one of these pivotal circumstances could be the very component that will keep you from walking away, that will allow you to lean on God and to see your faith grow. I would also say this, if you are in the midst right now, because I know many of us are, if you're in the midst right now of a storm, one of the things that we learn from this when we see Jesus weep is that God knows your situation and he feels your pain. And so many of us are going through things right now. And your pillow might be wet with tears at night from crying out to God. It might just be wet from crying. But but what this lets us know is that God knows your name. 100%. He knows your situation. He knows what you're going through. And he weeps with you. We do not worship some far-off God. We worship a God who is intimately involved in our life, who is working behind the scenes, whether you can feel it or not. And so I would just challenge you to keep crying out to God, but I would ask you, advise you, suggest that you add one thing to your prayers because I know you're already praying. And I would just say, ask God, God, I need to see you in this just need a sign to know that you're here, okay? Because I don't, I don't want to live in a world where I think you're just doing things to me. I, I want to live in a world where I, where I believe and know that you're doing things through me, that you're actively trying to change me. But I need to know you're here. I just need to feel your presence in a profound and new way. I just, if I can just feel your presence, then I, then I know that you're a part of this. I know that you're aware of this and then I I can lean on you more because I want to emerge from this situation with greater faith, stronger faith. See, what this story tells us, and there's countless stories all throughout Scripture, is that God can leverage our darkest hours to grow our faith if we let him. And that's the key component. See, when it comes to these pivotal circumstances in our lives, fortunately, and I mean that word fortunately, we don't get to sign up for them because we never would. But whenever you talk to someone who has gone through this and came out the other side, they would tell you that in the midst of that storm, that because of that storm, whatever it was, God became real to them. And he can only do that through these pivotal circumstances. James challenges us, you just need to persevere and know that God is with you. So let me pray for you. Dearly Father, I want to thank you that we have the opportunity to come here today on a Sunday morning. I want to thank you for what you did in this account. Lord, Lord, 2,000 years later, it's it's difficult for us to realize that these are real people in this story, Lord. This is not just some Bible story, God. Lazarus was a real man. Mary was a real woman. Martha was a real... These are real people, Lord, That bad stuff came into their lives, Lord, just like we are real people, Lord. And I know that every single person in this room is either going through something, has gone through something, will go through something, Lord. And I pray that today we can draw power and peace from this story. Lord, that through this admittedly disturbing account, Lord, we know, we know, we know we can have the faith, we can believe in, we can trust in, Lord, that you are working behind the scenes, God. But I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to persevere. Lord, that you would surround us with people who would give us an eternal perspective to understand, God, that you want to grow our faith. You want us to have such rock-solid, unshakable, big, bold faith, Lord, that you are willing to do whatever it takes, God, to get us there. But I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage to stand strong. Lord, the courage to continue to lean on you, to look at you, Lord. And I would just ask, Lord, in this moment, that whatever someone in this room right now is going through, whatever that looks like, and Lord, you know, they've been praying and they've been crying out and they have been trying to hold on. I pray that today, Lord, you would work in a mighty and powerful way. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, they would feel your presence. That they would know you are there. And perhaps, Lord, even today, that this storm might come to an end. And when we come out the other side, God, I pray, Lord, that we could point to whatever that was and give you the glory. And that those who have been watching us endure would come to faith in you because of it. That this season would not be wasted, Lord. That this world could be changed because of it. We ask all this in your name.